Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Alan Fairbanks, Executive Vice President of Operations at Bickford Senior Living. The Olaf Kansas-based operator has 62 communities in nine states. Bickford last year started offering in-home care at its communities in four markets. And looking ahead, Fairbanks says the operator has a broader goal of joining a larger provider network and eventually providing more value-based care services in its communities. If we can do a better job of taking care of seniors, then I think we can show value and harvest some of that in the systems of the future. This is about blowing up what we have, and let's try to create a new model, a better model that meets the needs of all seniors. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge excellence in design in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. And now, here's my interview with Alan Fairbanks, Executive Vice President of Operations at Bickford Senior Living. Alan Fairbanks, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. I really appreciate it. So I wanted to start with just sort of an update on the recovery period for Bickford Senior Living. I know that this is a tough time for a lot of senior living operators. You know, there is still, I think, some ground to make up from this COVID-19 pandemic. You know, before we get too deep into some of the other topics, I guess, what are you seeing in recent weeks in terms of positive occupancy growth and demand? Are things, you know, coming along at this point in the year? Yeah, thanks, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you here and have a conversation and uh, always good to be with you. So yeah, you know, as it relates to occupancy trends, we've, we've certainly seen some really positive trends uh, in occupancy here, here recently. You know, some of the challenges, we're, we're getting very close. We haven't reached pre-pandemic levels yet. Uh, we're getting close to that, but uh, we're still not there yet. And we had a really, really good ramp up here recently, but what we've seen in February and into early March, it's been a little bit of a challenge. And as I've talked with other operators, we're kind of seeing the same things. We've had a, an exorbitant amount of move-outs. Most, you know, have been related to, to death. It's not necessarily move-outs caused by anything else. So it's, right. you know, it's very interesting and we're, I'm curious about that. I don't know if, you know, maybe there's even some COVID hangovers, you know, kind of out there with some some of the mental health challenges that, that individuals have faced as it relates to COVID. So I'm not really sure what's caused the, the move outs necessarily. We we have seen, again, a, a really increased number in those. So uh, they've started to get back into a, a more normalized pace here in the last couple of weeks. But prior to that, that move out trying to kind of trend that hit, uh, we were, again, very, very good as, as it relates to leads and the sales and move-ins and, and occupancy was certainly trending in the right direction, but uh, the move-outs has, has caused us to have a little bit of a pause in that ramp-up period we were experiencing. Yeah, but it sounds like the demand, as you said, is is there. People That's are... Exactly right. The demand that is there, the, the sales have been really strong, leads, all of those, all of those metrics that uh, you really want, we want to be positive from an industry standpoint have been so, and uh, that, that's been a, a, a really good trend that we've continued to see is, is the uh, number of leads and, and number of sales and move-ins, the demand has certainly been there. So I'm, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of questions on this topic, but this is this is uh, something that I'm super interested in. So last year, Bickford, as, as you know, we, we talked about this, Bickford launched a home care line with Home Care Advocacy Network. 
sort of part of a larger trend, I think, in the last few years of senior living operators really trying to figure out ways to serve people outside of their their walls, and home care is one of the ways to do that. So, you know, I, I guess that was uh, that was a little bit less than a year ago. Um, so, how have those efforts gone so far? And I guess, you know, I remember in the beginning, you had four, I think, initial communities that you were sort of launching this in. So I guess also update us, you know, how many communities do you do you do this in now and how have things gone? Yeah, so the we've launched the initial four, as you said, and they, they've gone really well. It's been a little bit slower than what we anticipated and primarily due to the balancing of caregiver and clients. That's always really a nuanced part of home care and, and certainly knew that stepping into the situation, which is why we we partnered with HCAN, because we knew we weren't experts in home care and there were things that we were going to have to to lean on them to help us navigate. So and they've and then they've done that. So we really started to see some really good momentum recently in the in those four areas that we've initially launched and enough so that uh, we are very continue to be very bullish on on home care in the direction we're going. So we actually are in the process of launching three new markets here in the next 30 to 45 days. And it's our intention to launch a total of 10 markets by the end of this year, which will bring our total markets to 14 for home care. So as you can see, the trends have been positive enough for us that we really feel like this is a a real opportunity for us in, in multiple markets as we really think about home care in the direction we want to go. I have some questions about how all this works, but before we do that, why was this something that Bickford wanted to do in the first place? Primarily when we launched this, we became really, really passionate about it at Bickford as we navigated the pandemic and and thought about this was, can we best bring care and services to seniors wherever they are? You know, I, I think that's what ultimately what what seniors want. They don't necessarily want care. They want independence. So how can we help serve them and how can we bring that to them? And that's when we really began to think about home care and bringing care and services to an individual in their home. We've been in the senior living industry for 30 plus years. We know how to provide services for seniors. Why would we limit ourselves to the four walls of assisted living when there's such a need out there for care and services beyond that? And that's when we really started to think about, okay, how can we best do that? And that's when the idea of home care came about. And we knew others had tried it. Others had failed. And again, that's why we leaned on the relationship of of individuals who have done home care in the past and and know how to operationalize it and, and make it work. And it it has worked. It has been successful for us. And we didn't do this. I think also, you know, my opinion is why others have failed is they stepped into the home care world looking at it like this was a feeder source for assisted living. That's not what this is about for us. This is not a feeder source for assisted living. This is about bringing care and services to the seniors wherever they are and doing everything we can to keep them out of the hospital. That's ultimately what we should be doing within our own walls and also outside of our walls with individuals in their home. How do we keep them out of the hospital? So that's what we approach this from is that idea, care and services to the home, 
And again, it's it's been successful f- for us and so much so that we're continuing to expand that line of business for us, for home care to be able to do that. And you mentioned, you know, obviously there are, I, I can imagine there would be challenges in doing something new like this. So what, you know, specifically, what would you say have been the biggest challenges? And can you tell me more about how you've worked to overcome those challenges? I mean, obviously you're expanding this to other communities. So, you know, thing, things are working, but tell me more about just kind of what are the challenges that you've, you've come across and how you've overcome those? Some of the biggest challenges, one obviously is caregiver, caregiver recruitment and finding how to best, again, balance the, the needs of caregivers and clients, right? It's just a, in the, in the home care world, it seems like you always got too much of one and not enough the other, right? You've got too many clients to try to serve, not enough caregivers, or you've got too many caregivers at one hours and not enough clients. So it's been the learning of that nuanced way to handle the caregiver-client ratio and, and balance those out. That's been a challenge. But one of the biggest challenges, and you know, I'll, I'll readily admit, was our ability to really clearly communicate our vision for Bigford Home Care to our own people, to Bigford Assisted Living. They, it, it's seen still as a, a competition for assisted living, and, it's, and we're working hard to overcome that, and it's getting much, much better. I personally just you know, underestimated how much communication needed to happen to clearly communicate our vision for Bigford Home Care to the entire organization. So that, that's been a challenge for us to, to overcome is within our own walls of Bigford Assisted Living and the idea that this is seen as competition versus cooperation, collaboration. And it's, I think it's a win-win for the organization as a whole, but that is something that has been a challenge is being able to clearly communicate why, just as I shared, why we went into home care in the first place, why we will continue to be in the home care space within our own assisted living community. So we, we've worked very hard to compensate for that in our lack of communication right up front. So that, that's been a, a challenge that I hadn't anticipated. Do you think that, that some of that has to do with sort of how the industry has looked at home care as its biggest competitor for many years and not necessarily an opportunity? Do you think that that is part of the reason why people see that that difference between what you do in your communities and what you do outside of them? Or I guess, why do you think people have that uh, notion? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think, I think in so many ways, and that's why I think when you look at seniors today, why they are so confused about how to get their care needs met is because we live in this just fragmented siloed ecosystem of care and services for for seniors. You've got you've got home care, you've got hospice, you've got assisted living, you've got memory care. They don't know how to navigate that. And we haven't done a good job of the, of an industry as of helping them learn how to do that as well. We we create these fragmented siloed worlds of of care and services that we all hold on to so tightly to that we're unwilling to recognize the needs of let's meet the needs of the senior. Let's try to set aside whether they're in competition with us or they're not in competition with us. Let's just meet the needs of the senior where they are. And again, bring them care and services and and not live in this siloed ecosystem world that we're in today of, you know, well, I'm assisted living and that's going to be my sole purpose is to solve that issue. And then home care is the same way. Hospice is the same way. Home health is the same way. And the seniors are out there 
you know, thinking, how the heck do I navigate this and what do I do? They're just lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard this other operators have said as much as well. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I also wanted to ask you about just whether or not some of the things, I mean, obviously it's still early, you know, it has not been even a full year since you've started doing this, but have have you seen any of this start to translate into, you know, improvements in your operations or, you know, have you seen this in your bottom line or in your length of stay or have even people come to you when they've moved in and said, I think this is a interesting differentiator. I mean, have, have you seen this uh, payoff yet or or is this something that you're still kind of working towards where you think the benefit is still ahead? Well, I, I think a little bit of both. I think it's certainly begun to pay off. I think there's there's huge benefits yet ahead of us for sure. You know, I, I think some of the ways it's begun to pay off is just some, you know, individual stories about individuals that were considering moving into to Bigford assisted living and, and didn't choose to make that decision yet, but yet home care was able to step in and provide care and services for them in in their home to allow them to stay home longer than maybe they would have initially. So I, I think there's been some wins from a consumer standpoint as it relates to that. But I think one of the biggest things that we're really beginning to explore and think differently about is the whole idea of staffing. You know, there, I don't need to talk about the staffing challenges that the industry faces, right? They're real, they're here, and they hurt. But what we've learned is my ability to recruit caregivers to the home care space has been easier than it is to recruit them to the assisted living space. Now, granted, I said easier. I didn't say easy. It's still challenging (laughs) and it's still hard. But I think the learning that I've taken away from that is why is that? I think it's because of the flexibility that we're offering to the caregivers in the home care space. At the end of the day, I believe that's what our caregivers and assisted living want as well. And we're trying to move in that direction as an industry, but we're slow. It's like trying to move a battleship and change course. It's just really, really hard. And what we're beginning to realize is I think there's some some technology and resources and things that are available to us in the home care space that we are really beginning to look at and engage differently in this whole idea of staffing and how can home care help support staffing from an assisted living standpoint that has gotten me more excited about staffing than I have in a long, long time. There's a lot of energy within our organization about staffing and how home care can potentially help solve some of the staffing challenges and needs of the assisted living space. So there'll be more to come on that. But I really am excited about what opportunities we have before us. And that wouldn't have materialized if it wouldn't have been for our experience with home care. That's really interesting. I had not actually thought about the benefits that doing something like this could have on staffing. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Obviously, the benefits, I think, are they're, they seem clear. And, and I, I think this is a trend that the industry has been moving towards you know, for, for years, even before the pandemic. But already, are you starting to see more of Bigfoot's competitor try to you know, do something similar here? And I guess, do you think there will be more in the future? I can only assume there will be more in the future who will look at this and say, oh, this is, looks successful. Let's try to do this as well. I haven't seen a, a lot necessarily, but maybe some of that's because I've been so focused in my, in my own world here. But I, I do believe that there'll be more of this to come. But I, but I also think sometimes right now, 
providers have become so fixated on, you know, the the big challenges of our industry right now, occupancy, staffing, margin erosion, and those things that, that sometimes they haven't been able to, to step outside of that comfort zone, for lack of a better word, although it's far from comfortable right now, to, to think about some of these other areas of opportunity like like home care. But I do think the trend will be more in that direction. But I haven't necessarily seen it take off, so to speak. But but I do think you'll you'll see that. But I think right now, um, what I'm seeing is operators again becoming so kind of hunkered down in that world of staffing occupancy and and margin erosion and margin than than anything else. I want to talk with you a little bit about your relationship with with REITs. I think for for a long time, at least from my end, I knew Bickford as working with NHI. Um, I know that you guys obviously still work with NHI. You've had a long relationship with them. I'm assuming that relationship has been, uh, you know, a little painful at times as as you've encountered challenges and as you've worked to, you know, figure that out. But it seems like over the years the relationship has been pretty positive. I know Eric Mendelson usually speaks, I think, highly of Bickford. So how do you maintain a good relationship with a repartner? What are some of the things that they look for and how do you keep that relationship good? I'll answer that in the same way that you asked the question. I think if you go back and listen, I think you used the word relationship about five times in the question you just asked me. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about creating a relationship and, and having it not just be so transactional in nature. Look, at the end of the day, it is, it's a, it's a business, you know, and they need to make the returns. We get that, but, but it, it is about that relationship and how do you best create an alignment of incentives that we can both benefit from. And it, it has been challenging, but you know, they've been great to work with through this because at the end of the day, you know, it's like, we've all been affected by this certainly. So, so we have been able to, you know, navigate it with, with them. And, and I think one of the things that for us as an organization and, you know, I think for them, what, what I feel like they would say that they appreciate from day one, when we, you know, establish this relationship with them, it is about transparency and being transparent with what's happening within the organization and looking at them as, as a partner, as, as much as a, you know, they're a capital vendor or whatever you want to use for that terminology. It's about how can we help each other uh, at the end of the day and and being transparent with where our needs are and and what some of our challenges are and and not not try to operate again in a a silo and just out here doing our thing and trying to cobble enough money to pay the to pay the lease payments. You know, it's it's about a relationship and it's about transparency and, and how do you best maintain that over a period of time through the good times and the bad. Yeah, absolutely. So y- you and I were both recently at the NIC Spring Conference in Dallas. You actually were part of a very interesting panel on some of the ways that senior living operators can work with partners in their operations. I don't know if that was actually the point of the panel, but I, that was what I found most interesting about that. I remember on that panel, you had said something that I have heard actually from other people in this industry. So I wanted to ask you about this. You'd said that you'd thought that the industry, you thought some operators, I guess, were at risk of, of basically turning their communities into sort of warehouses for the elderly. And I've heard this term before. I'm assuming this can only mean, you know, places where people just sort of sit around and, and don't do very much all day. 
As you look across the rest of the industry, and again, you know, because I have heard other people use this term as well, I guess, can you explain what you meant when you said that you see that kind of stuff? And what else do you, what do you see operators doing wrong? And what do you think they should be, you know, in light of those comments, what do you think they should be doing instead? First of all, I should probably lead with, I I lump ourselves in that same category, right? So I'm not here in a glass house throwing stones. I, I think, I think what has happened is that in general, our healthcare system today operates within a what I'm going to call a sick care system. We wait for something bad to happen, and then we bring care and services in and react to that negative event. And that's the system that we live in today. And that's where I feel like there's tremendous opportunity for us as operators to transition into a more of a, a well care system, a, a healthy aging type of model that we recognize the benefits of what seniors bring to all of us and get on the front side of some of these negative events and not just wait for bad things to happen. Be more proactive in the care and services that we bring. Be more proactive in the model of, of care that we bring by creating, again, these providers that can come in and help be in relationship with us to meet the needs of a senior versus just waiting for something to happen. You know, let's let's talk about these seniors with the primary care physician, with the home health, with the home care, with the hospice companies, with the behavior network of, of from a mental health standpoint. Let's talk about these seniors, you know, on a regular basis every single month to get them on the highest path possible and, you know, we kind of talk about giving them their golden years back versus them just coming in to one of our, you know, one of our locations and then just being there waiting for something bad to happen. Right. So I, I think there's, you know, we talk about ageism all the time. I think there's some ageism that exists, even with our own industry of what happens when someone moves into assisted living. It's like, let's just not sit and wait for something bad to happen. Let's be proactive. Let's keep them on the highest path possible. You heard me use the term healthier, happier, longer. Well, let's really do that. And let's just not do that in isolation of ourselves. Let's get this providing provider care network involved in these conversations and do it proactively versus reactively waiting for something bad to happen. Whenever I talk about this with other senior loving operators, sometimes I will hear them say things like, well, these would be good to offer in our community, but we can't. These are very costly services or... Or, or we want to focus on what we do best, which is private pay, senior living, and we'll let them figure out the rest. Just judging uh, or based on what you've already done with Bickford, how do you think the industry can do a better job at, at keeping residents healthier for longer and doing some of the things that you mentioned? Maybe, I guess, if you have any examples of how you've gotten this done at Bickford, what are some of the ways that operators who say those things can actually do this? At the end of the day, my view of this is it's not necessarily costly from a standpoint of of dollars and cents and capital. It's simply costly in the sense of taking the time to actually meaningfully do it and put a provider network together and go out in your communities and be in relationship with other providers, set those expectations of what it will take for them to participate in your provider network, and then hold them accountable to those expectations that you set and and have in place. I, I think when you think about private pay, assisted living, and and protecting that, that may very well become a dinosaur in the next three to five years, right? At the end of the day, what's the the number? 81% or something like that of middle-income seniors can't afford 
assisted living services in the year 2029. Well, last time I checked, that's seven years from now, right? So this model of care may already be broken. And if it isn't now, it may very well be broken very, very soon. So we better begin to think differently as an industry of trying to protect and hold on to this private pay assisted living world, because it might not be in place very much longer. And when I think about the, the direction we need to go, that's what I think about is we need to disrupt ourselves. And we need to be open to that disruption and not try to hold on to the, to the past. So I, I do think there's opportunities here to create these networks of care and to get in relationship with physicians and get in relationship with these other providers. They want that as well because there's too much at stake. There's too many dollars at stake here, you know, from the insurance side. What, what is healthcare now, like 22 or 3 or 4% of our GDP? We're talking about trillions of dollars. And if we can do a better job of taking care of seniors that, that, who has, who has more opportunity to do that than us as an industry, then I think we can show value and harvest some of that value that can be available to us in the systems of the future. So I don't look at this as trying to protect what we have. This is about blowing up what we have. And let's try to create a new model, a better model that meets the needs of all seniors. Yeah, this is all very fresh on my mind, especially given the United Health Group LHC or the United Health Group LHC Group deal, where the 5.4 billion deal, where United Health Group basically acquired LHC Group, the largest I think home health operator in the country, and then folded this into their Optum arm. So value-based care has really been on my mind for the past week. What role do you see value-based care playing in the industry in the future? I mean, it sounds like, obviously, in the things that you just described, it will play a big role. So look into the future and tell us what all this looks like in your mind. In my mind, it is the future. As I said, I, I think it's the future of our industry. I feel that way because, as I referenced, these, this middle-income seniors that, that has this tremendous need. And there's a lot of individuals that are trying to to step into that. And I, and I think that I, I commend them that because I think it's needed. I don't know how you meaningfully do it by a reduction of services and trying to focus on the expense side and the expense model and, and services because there's such a rising acuity that's taking place in our own walls that, that how, you, how can you provide that care if you're you know reducing expenses? I think the way you do it is accessing, as, as I will refer to, to the other side of the pocketbook. And by that, I mean, you have to access these insurance dollars that are out there and available to us as operators. We're not going to print more money. The government's not going to print more money to take care of these middle-income seniors. That's not going to happen. But I think what can happen and what is out there is the availability of us to be able to access not just the private pay dollars of assisted living, but also these insurance dollars that I think the insurance companies are willing to make available to us either in shared savings or potentially even going at risk with them and taking on real financial risk to take care of seniors. And I think we can do that if we can create a good performing network of providers that we can show value, we can reduce hospitalizations, reduce emergency room visits by, again, moving out of the sick care system, moving into more of a well care system and getting access to those dollars. Then when we're accessing the private pay in the insurance dollars, there's more dollars flowing in that are available to us that we can allocate most effectively and efficiently to meet the needs of this middle income senior population that's coming without printing more money to be able to do it. 
Yeah. Well, I want to I want to end our discussions today by talking a little bit about Bickford and what's ahead. So, I guess to start with, how is Bickford growing or evolving this year? Um, you know, and I guess just sort of what big initiatives are you working on, or what else do you want to mention or tout while you're on this podcast? Well, I mean, we're continuing to to grow the core business. You know, we have uh, development opportunities that are before us. We've got a, a new branch opening in. 30 to 45 days in, in Virginia. So we're going to continue to, to grow uh, the assisted living part of the business. As I mentioned previously, we're going to continue to grow home care or getting re- ready to launch hospice in a couple of markets. But our biggest kind of focus beyond that is, again, stepping into in a much more meaningfully way, this provider network, this performing network, and a model of healthcare that we think the industry needs to, to move toward. So we're looking at how do we more meaningfully do that in certain markets within our within our portfolio to kind of begin to dip our toe in the water, so to speak, as it relates to, to value-based care with the intention of eventually going into a, a location and going at risk with an insurance provider to be able to, to share in, in some of those dollars that are going to be made available to us. So so we're, we're continuing to focus on some of the core aspects of the business, but our big, big focus is how can we best create a performing network of care model in certain markets and really meaningfully begin to step into a, a well care system versus the sick care system that we live in today. So what big hurdles do you think are left this year? I mean, obviously we have possibly, you know, this other variant coming and it sounds like cases are going back up. We have other challenges, you know, cost cost is going up, I think, in, in a lot of parts of the business. And staffing, of course, we don't have to we don't have to mention that. So what, what big challenges do you see ahead this year? And then and then to flip that question around, I think we've talked about a lot of these today, but what big opportunities do you see ahead this year? Yeah, I mean, I think you you mentioned the the, the challenges very succinctly. We talked about it earlier. You know, it's it's going to be occupancy, staffing, margin erosion, those sorts of things. You know, I don't I don't I don't know that we need to to expand on those, you know, too much more than what we already than what we already have. I got enough heartburn as it is. I don't need to continue to talk <laughs> about those. But but I but I will say this. I think what what those challenges bring are opportunities if we're willing to let go of ourselves if we're willing to disrupt ourselves before we get disrupted, and if we're willing to let go of this model of care that we think we have to hold on to and, and really begin to think differently about what does the senior living industry need to be? What do we need to provide? How do we need to evolve? How do we need to change? I think about, and I've mentioned this on other occasions too, I think about just something as simple as staffing, right? And the way we staff and schedule. I've been doing this for 30 plus years and our schedule today is the same as it was when I worked in the nursing home industry 30 plus years ago, right? You're scheduling seven to three, three to 11, 11 to seven. And it's, you know, we gotta, we gotta get beyond those things. We gotta think about the flexibility and schedule. We gotta think about daily pay and begin to think about and meaningfully step into this, right? The, the fast food industry, all these other industries have just passed us by and because we're left here as an industry, just in my opinion, trying to hold on so tightly to who we are and what we are. And we got to let go of that. And with challenges comes opportunity. And I'm very excited about what the opportunities are before us. And if we can meaningfully step into those and lean into those, I think the future is very, very bright. 
you mentioned change. Last question for you, you know, if you could change something about the senior loving industry, you know, what would you change and why would you change it? I would change again this, this transition of, of a model of care and to begin to really embrace other operators, other providers, try to create, you know, economies of scale, try to create alignments of incentives and involve other providers. When I say providers, talk to primary care physician groups, talk to home care, talk to hospitals. How can they more meaningfully engage with us in helping take care of that resident in room 103 versus solely relying upon ourselves? Let's all work collaboratively in cooperation together to try to take care of the resident in room 103 versus us just thinking that we have to do this all as big for assisted living. Let's think differently about it and embrace and engage others to help us do that. Well, Alan, this has been this has been a really great discussion. I really enjoyed talking with you. So, Alan Fairbanks, thank you so much for coming on Transform. This has been great. You bet. Thank you, Tim. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.